uh, Psalm 20, that's where we will be today. So um, today in Psalm 20, we are going to see something really profound. And I, I emailed you about it. You got that on Friday if you get the emails. I saw some things in Psalm 20 that I did not expect to see. I've never seen this as I've read it before. And that's one of the most wonderful things about God's word is as we read it more and more as we live We see more things that the Lord is doing, and his word is living and active, and we believe that. Not only do we believe that, we see it, we experience it, and I look forward to sharing some of those things with you today. Um, The the profound thing that I saw is that uh, it's King David in uh, in 800 BC or so, 800s BC, writing Psalm 20, and what he's doing in Psalm 20 is he's praying for Jesus. He's praying for Jesus. Uh, 800 and some years prior to Jesus' first coming. And then even deeper and cooler than that, he is praying Matthew 6.10 specifically for Jesus. Not word for word, but the idea, the paraphrase there in Matthew 6.10 is from the Sermon on the Mount. It is from the Lord's Prayer, and it's, um, it's Lord, uh, your kingdom come, and Jesus, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is remarkably humble. It's remarkably humble because, well, David really believed God's promise that God would send uh, the promised one, the future king to the earth. And he really believed that and he's praying it and he understands that only Jesus can do the things that Jesus can do. David can't do it. David's king. He had the resources of the Lord. He's anointed by the Lord and he's realizing I can't do these things. Only the coming king can do that. So he's praying for Jesus, and King David was a king himself. So King David could have easily prayed, as all of us are tempted to pray. David could have prayed for, for his own kingdom to come. Lord, may my kingdom come, right? Uh, Lord, may, may my will be done. And instead, David's like, no, no, no. The more and more I know you, Lord, the less and less I want me, the more and more I want you. So Jesus, would your kingdom come? Jesus, would your will be done? We think about John the Baptist in John 3.30. He's saying less of me and more of Jesus. That's such a mark of mature Christian faith, believing that Jesus is better, Jesus is more, and praying for more of him. So uh, why didn't David pray for more of his own kingdom, more of his own will? And it's because David nor any of us can do what Jesus can do. And do you believe that, right? Do we know that? I think we know it, right? Jesus can do more than I can do, but do we know it so much that we're like, man, I, I can't do anything here. I can't, I can't solve this situation. I can't bring light into this darkness. I can, I can shine a little bit of light, but only Jesus coming and doing something big would really change this situation. So David's praying for Jesus. Jesus David's praying for Jesus' work. And so David knew that only Jesus can do these things, and and the question is, do we know that as well? So the big idea today is very simple. Again, it's four words. Um, Pray for more Jesus. Very simple, right? Think about that. I mean, that's prayer, right? That is prayer. If you think, what is the subject of prayer? It's more Jesus, right? You're thinking about whatever it is that's hard that you're going through, whatever the darkness is, whatever the, the, whoever the person is that you love, that you want uh, to get through something that they're facing or, or just get healing through what they're facing or endurance through whatever they're facing. You need more Jesus there. So you're praying that for them. And so as David and as we survey everything in our lives, this is really the fundamental singular need and it's more Jesus. So the, the points today are gonna follow the Lord's prayer, uh, Jesus' kingdom to come, Jesus' will to be done. So let's start with pray for Jesus' kingdom to come, verses one through three. 
right? Psalm 21 through 3, pray for Jesus' kingdom to come, right? What do we pray? We pray for Jesus' kingdom to come. How do we pray? We pray for Jesus' Jesus's kingdom to come. So look at verses 1 through 3. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. So that just means David's writing this and then he's handing it to the choir master to be sung by the people of Israel as they gather to worship. So all of these psalms are songs. They're sung. They're prayed. This is incredible. This is discipleship for God's people. So verse one, it says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. All right, so verse nine, I want you to just jump there real quick. We'll get to it a a little later in the sermon, of course, but it says, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. So, so you realize that you read verse nine and you're looking at verses one through three and you're like, hold up. This is, I don't think this is David praying for himself as king, especially verse nine. It's like, may, may he answer us when we call, may the king answer us when we call and Lord save the king. He's not praying about himself. He's not praying about Saul. It's for sure bigger and beyond all of that. And then when you read verses one through three and you see the things that this king is going to do, you realize pretty quickly that David is praying about King Jesus. He's praying for Jesus and for the ministry that Jesus will do. Uh, as, as I was emphasizing the word you as I was reading, you notice that there's, there's a lot of you's, second person plural in these verses, and that's throughout. So really what David is praying here is may Yahweh answer you, Lord Jesus. May God the Father answer you, God the Son in what you're praying. And, and then may the work that you do, O promised one, may the work that you will do, Lord Jesus, uh, succeed. So David is praying for the success of King Jesus. He's praying forward 800 and some years prior to Jesus coming. He's praying these things for Jesus. And then for us, as we think about this, as we look at it, we're thinking like, may the reconciling us to God work that you do, Lord Jesus, spread here and there and everywhere. That's what, that's what Psalm 20 is communicating. Psalm 20 is teaching us to pray for the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ in this world, the advance of Jesus's kingdom. So in verses one through six, and in and, and this point, we're just gonna look at the first uh, three verses, but in verses one through six are 10, that's a lot. There are 10 blessings that David is praying for King Jesus. And I, I wanna look at, at verses one through three uh, quickly and just run through those with you because what Jesus is, or what David is saying here about Jesus's ministry is really profound and helpful for us to understand how David saw what Jesus was going to do. So from verse 1a, it says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. So David's praying for Jesus, may the Lord answer you in your day of trouble. What is that day of trouble for King Jesus? What's well, the cross? It's that Friday, that day of trouble for Jesus when he would be crucified on behalf of human sin to reconcile us to God. So David's praying forward for that day of trouble and success for the Lord Jesus. Verse 1b, it says, may the name of the God of Jacob 
protect you. So, so who would deliver Jesus? And the answer to that is God the Father would deliver Jesus. And really specifically, it says the God of Jacob would deliver Jesus. Why is God the Father called the God of Jacob there? It's because, well, Jacob had already lived and died. So when we pray to the God of Jacob, it's like the God, the God of what has happened in the past and we're pulling his faithfulness from the past into our future. And we're saying you were faithful then and you'll be faithful now. So, oh God, of Jacob who did all of those things for Jacob and brought these people and delivered them. We pray that you would do the same thing in the future and we believe you do that then. We believe you'll do it presently and in the future. So the God of Jacob would deliver Jesus from that day of trouble. And then look at verse two. It says, may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. So from where would God deliver Jesus? And the answer to that is from God's holy mountain, from Zion, from where Jesus came. So we know Jesus is eternal. Jesus uh, came from that mountain, came into earth to do this ministry for us. And from that place where Jesus came would come his help. We saw last week the illustration of how the Old Testament sees the world and it's God on his mountain delivering people out of the chaos and the swirling and downward pressure of this world, delivering people out. So Jesus comes into it to redeem and ransom a people out of this world for the Lord and to his mountain. And then verse three, it says, may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices Selah, all right, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? He would offer and sacrifice himself so that you, we, and others can know God and be saved. That's what he would do. So, so there's two offerings. I wanna camp here for, for just a minute in verse three because this is, really, this is really fantastic. There's two offerings that David is mentioning here in verse three and, and I, wanna, I wanna show you those. So the first one is the grain offering and the second one is the burnt offering or the burnt sacrifice. And so the grain offering, the first part of verse three, may he remember all your offerings. The Hebrew word for that word offering is the word for the grain offering. And what was the grain offering? Uh, the grain offering was a thank you for the fellowship offering, all right? It would be placed on top of the burnt offering and offered to the Lord. And so this is literally just a, I'm in fellowship with God and I'm thankful for fellowship with God offering. And so the grain offering, think about this, it's like bringing bread to a neighbor with, with whom you're close, and think about Jesus here, He's off, it's an offering of fellowship and gratitude to God for making himself near to us through Jesus Christ. That's, that's how we would consider the grain offering. Part of what Jesus did on the cross was become this grain offering for us. What did Jesus call himself? He called himself the bread of life, right? So he does this grain offering, becomes this grain offering for us so that we can have fellowship with God. And David's seeing that. He's seeing all this, this sacrificial system, it's, it, it's pointing to Jesus. And then, and then from the second part, 3B, from the second part of 3 is the burnt sacrifice. Now, I know some of you are, are grammar police, and you're like, it should be burned sacrifice, not burnt, right? Burnt isn't a word. So if any of you are grammar police, uh, I just want you to know this is the English translators of the Bible. Like, they did it. It's not my fault, all right? This is, I'm saying burnt because it's right here in your Bible. Are you with me on that? I just don't want anyone to be angry with me. Who are, who are grammar police people, all right? So, so what is the burnt sacrifice? The burnt sacrifice in the Levitical system was the totally consumed sacrifice, right? It would have been an animal. 
all right? And that animal would be totally consumed. And what happens as this animal is being consumed, what rises from that animal? Smoke rises from that animal. And I want us to take from that two things. Number one, Jesus sacrificed himself for us fully, not halfway, right? He didn't, he didn't just halfway offer himself. He was all in. That's why he came. He came in because he loves us. He wants to redeem us to God. He gave everything. He was the fully consumed, totally consumed offering. And then the second thing that the burnt sacrifice does is it represents the smoke rising to God as a pleasing aroma to him. So we who've placed our faith in Jesus' sacrifice for us now rise to God as a pleasing aroma to him. Paul writes about this in the New Testament. So Jesus' sacrifice on the cross allows us to rise to God, allows us to be a pleasing aroma to God, and to no longer face the separation from God and the descent into hell that we all deserve because of our sins against God. Right, so David, David's like verse three, like all this amazing thing, all these amazing things that he's, that he's, that he's seeing Jesus is going to come and do. And David humbly is recognizing like, I can't do any of those things, not even close. And then we realize too, can any of us do any of those things? Can we become a grain offering to offer other people fellowship with God? And the answer is no, right? Can we be a totally consumed sacrifice to get someone else to Jesus Christ? No, only Jesus can do that. Now, we can point people toward Jesus Christ, but we realize Jesus has got to come. Jesus has got to do these things. So David is praying for Jesus to come, and we pray for more Jesus, too. I want to ask you all, um, in what situations do you need Jesus to come? In what situations do you need Jesus to come? Right, like you're in it, you're feeling it. Um, it's dark, it feels empty, or there's a lack of wisdom, or there's a lack of clarity, or there's a lack of direction, or there's a lack of, of repentance and belief. Uh, maybe it's total darkness. Uh, in what situations do you need Jesus to come? And in what situations do you need his kingdom and not another kingdom? And that's what David's realizing here. He's like, I need Jesus, I need you to come into my life. I need you to come into this, this kingdom of Israel that you want me to lead. I need you to come into the, these dark situations, these wicked people who are doing wicked things. We need you to come into that. Would your kingdom come? Not all of these kingdoms of this world, not the mentalities of this world, Lord. We want you to come. So he's praying, Lord, uh, your kingdom come in this dark place. Lord, your kingdom come by saving my lost family and friends. Lord, your kingdom come in and against the wickednesses and the brokennesses in this world. We're praying for more Jesus. And David sees it and he's praying it. So the second thing from verses four through five, and it just follows in that sequence, you all know the Lord's prayer, right? It's pray for Jesus's will to be done. So we want his kingdom to come, and we want his will to be done. So look at verses four through five with me. So these finish the 10 blessings, and David is saying, may he grant you your heart's desire. So that's like, may the Father bless you, Lord Jesus, your heart's desire, and fulfill all your plans, Lord Jesus. May we shout for joy over your salvation, the salvation that he brings, and in the name of God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your positions, your petitions, uh, King Jesus. All right, now, verse four, um, may he grant you your heart's desire is one of those verses that you could read not knowing the context of Psalm 20 and be like, oh yeah, this is my favorite Bible verse. 
because I can pray for whatever I want, right? You're like, God, I want a new car. Hook me up, right? Or you're like, God, rather than water fountains, I want coffee fountains, right? Or you're like, Lord, Lord, would you please, by your grace and mercy, allow the NC State Wolfpack to win a national title in basketball, right? Right? Things that are never going to happen, right? And you read verse four and you're like, do it, Lord. And then you're like, oh, these are things that are Jesus's will, not mine, right? <laughs> Jesus's will probably isn't, apparently isn't the Wolfpack winning a title or coffee fountains or a new car, right? But what is Jesus's will? <laughs> what an important question for us to ask, right? Would y'all agree that there's a different list that's Jesus's will than is our will? Would y'all agree, right? Right? That's, that's a good answer. All right. Um, yeah, same for me. All right, so, so think about this. Um, unlike God being a vending machine that we stock ourselves, it's like, hey, God, I'm going to stock. Here's, here's my idea, God. I'm going to stock a vending machine with things that I want. And then I'm going to ask you, I'm going to push some buttons with prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to dispense those when I want them, right? Like, that's, that's how a lot of people pray, right? And then they're like, God, you didn't give it to me, so I don't believe in you. And you're like, God's like, you weren't praying my will, right? Like, you're praying for crazy stuff, right? Like a coffee fountain. Y'all are like, why does he keep saying coffee fountain, right? <laughs> All right. I had a conversation with Becca Rodriguez in the hallway the other day. We were talking about water fountains. I'm like, water fountains? Coffee fountains would be better, right? That's, why, that's, where, that, that's where that comes from. All right. Um, God has showed us what to pray for, right? He showed us what to pray for, and it's his will and not ours. So, so what's Jesus's will? That's an important question, right? If we're going to pray Jesus's will to be done, I think he wants us to be specific, not just be really general, like, Lord, your will be done. That's a great prayer. Like, keeping it, just having that headline, that's great, because Jesus knows what that is, and he can answer that prayer even if you're not super specific about it. But man, if we could get super specific about it and pray those specifics, Lord, I pray that your will would be done, and I think this is your will, so I'm praying for that, Lord. I'm aligning my will with your will, and I'm praying, Lord, I know you hear this. I know you work by the power of your spirit to do these things. I want your will to be done. So let me just give you three things, just from four through five, that are for sure God will. And as, as I'm saying these things to y'all, you're not going to be surprised with these answers. This is one of those things. Is this something we think about? This is obvious stuff, but I think so often we don't pray according to obvious things, right? What is Jesus's will? Number one, for sure, it's people being saved and being reconciled to God. Let's pray that, right? That's verse four, people being saved and reconciled to God. So we're praying Jesus's will. That's his will for sure. That's why he came. That's why he offered himself. That's why he became the grain offering and the burnt offering, right? That's why he did those things so that people could be saved and reconciled him. The second one uh, from verse five is that the, the saved would be rejoicing in salvation above all else. The saved would be rejoicing in salvation against uh, or, or, or above all else. I, I, I think this is a convicting question for us, right? Do we rejoice in salvation above all else? Or are we rejoicing in things above our salvation, right? Like, why do we come here? Are we coming here to rejoice in Jesus and who he is, right? That's, that's, what, that's what Jesus wants. He, that is his will, that the saved would rejoice in salvation above all else. How many of you know Christians who are not rejoicing in salvation above all else? You're like, I'm a Christian. You'd be like, I would, I would have had no idea, right? right? Re Jesus is praying that the saved would rejoice in salvation above all else. And then a third one is the saved welcoming all peoples to also be saved by Jesus. The second one from verse five. That Jesus that, that's, that Jesus is praying that the saved would be welcoming all peoples to also be saved by Jesus. All right, praying for more Jesus. 
meaning your will be done, does something very important for us human beings. And God, God is so brilliant, y'all. Of course he is. He's all-knowing. He's all-wise. He created us. He recreates us through Jesus Christ, right? These very simple phrases that we have so well memorized, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, they do something for us that is very important. And they deconstruct what the world is cramming down our throats. All right, praying for more Jesus deconstructs what the world is cramming down our throats. And I wanna give you three things and they're set up in the following format, all right? Self, then a hyphen, then a word that starts with A. You're welcome, all right? All right, self, then a hyphen, then a a word that starts with A. So the first, these are things, praying for more Jesus deconstructs what the world is cramming down our throats. The first one is self-actualization. This is what the world is all about right now. It's what the world is preaching. It's what is the dominant voice of our culture right now, self-actualization. It means be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. But rather, we look at Psalm 20, we look at the Lord's prayer and we think, oh, rather, let's pray for Jesus's kingdom to come. Not whatever you're saying your kingdom is, right? I don't want my kingdom. I don't want the, the, the more I grow in Jesus, I'm like, less of me, more of you. I know that's the same for you, Right? Not self-actualization, but rather Jesus' kingdom to come. And then the second one is self-assertion, which means do what makes you happy. That is what the world is telling us, right? Do what makes you happy. Life is about happiness. And I just think, man, I'd rather make Jesus happy. Y'all with me on that? It sounds like a super bold statement, but then we're like, no, it's not. It's like the most wonderful, freeing, life mission, purposeful statement, right? I wanna make Jesus happy. So rather pray for Jesus's will to be done. Not ours, not what someone else is saying, certainly not what you feel. My goodness, self-assertion, what makes you happy? Rather pray for Jesus's will to be done. And then the last one is self-affirmation, meaning like your truth is inalienable. That's what our world says right now. Hey, if you believe that, all good, all good. And it's like we're disallowed from helping people towards something that could be far better for them, which is Jesus and his word and his love and his truth and his grace. So rather lead people to Jesus's truth and love. We see all of this here. Like David's crying out. He's like, Lord, this world is so messed up. We are so messed up. Lord, would your will be done? Would your kingdom come? That's what he's passionate about. That's why Jesus has given us the Lord's prayer, understanding that there's so many different worldviews, and we want to come to the Lord's and humble ourselves under him. So um, I've I've mentioned this already, but um, in our prayer lives, as we're thinking about prayer and as we're wanting to be better and better at prayer and do it well for the glory of God and for the good of those around us, one of the most powerful things that you can do is think. One of the most powerful things you can do is think. I think so often we just start prayer and we're praying like how we've always prayed and that's okay, but let's, let's grow in our ability to pray precisely and to do more, and to do more bullseye praying. So here's what I mean. What, what are you thinking about? It's, it's answering the question, Lord, what is your will here, Lord Jesus? What is your will here, Lord Jesus? So in this situation where I've got, a, I've got a family member who's not saved or I have a friend who's wayward and doing all of these things or I'm in this dark place or I see, these, I see these wicked things happening in this world, what is your will here, Lord Jesus? It's totally okay to pray your will be done, but if we can pray more specifically than that, then that, that's even better. And God can work, by the way, when we don't get super specific prayers, but the more our prayers get specific, the more we can see things and really align ourselves with the Lord on what he would do, which allows us to be better participants in his will in the midst of those things. Does that make sense to y'all? I think sometimes maybe we can think a bit more before we pray and then pray or think while we're praying. And the question to answer is, what is your will 
here, Lord. And then we pray that. So here's some examples. Like this is, again, not rocket science. It's just one of those simple things that we pick up from nine verses in Psalm 20. All right, here's some ideas for God's will. And, and I don't even know that y'all need to write this down because you'll be with me thinking like one of them is repentance, right? For sure, Jesus' will. Another one's restoration, right? Wisdom. You see a situation that's full of foolishness. You're like, Lord, your will here is wisdom. I pray your wisdom. Or maybe endurance is one. We see a lot of, we see Jesus praying for endurance. We see multiple verses in the New Testament praying for endurance. Like people continue to suffer. Sometimes Jesus doesn't fully heal. Often Jesus does. So what do we need to pray in that moment? We need to pray for endurance. We have sick, hurting loved ones and we're like, okay, Lord, you haven't healed them. I'm gonna pray that too, but I pray that if you don't, you would give them endurance. That's his will for them, endurance in him. And another one would be provision, Lord, provide. But it might not be like, it might not be money or a new car. It might be peace that surpasses all understanding, right? Pray as will. Another one would be hope. Our world is so despairing. Things are so difficult, so heavy, right? Pray hope for people. That's Jesus' will is that everyone would have hope in him. Another one is truth, right? People don't know the Lord. People don't know the Lord's will. They don't know his way, so pray for truth. Another one is God's love. They don't know the Lord's love or they're, or they're bound up and entangled in all these other types of love and they're just making it up like, this is the love that I need. This is the love that I need. It changes every six months and instead it's like, Lord, your love, it's steadfast love forever. So you pray those. You pray those. So it could be multiple things that you pray. Maybe it's multiple choice. You're like, Lord, here's all these options. I know all of these are your will. And then as you go, three, four days in, five days in, three weeks in, five months in, you just that now it narrows from that multiple choice list to a smaller amount of things and you keep praying, right? What, you just think, what would Jesus pray? Right? We think, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus pray in this moment? And we, as much as possible, try to channel who the Lord Jesus would be, what the Lord Jesus would do, what the Lord Jesus would pray, the world needs Jesus' will and not the world's will, all right? And then here's the last point from verses six through nine. The last one, it's kind of, kind of funny. It's really just, it's just re-upping on verses one through five in those first two points, but pray for Jesus to answer these prayers, right? So pray for Jesus' kingdom to come and then pray for Jesus' will to be done. And then at the end, you're like, in Jesus' name, I pray, Amen. Right, like Jesus, would you do these? Would you answer these prayers? I, I say these in the name of you. I say these not in my own name or not in the name of these people or not. I say these in the name of you. Would you do them, Lord Jesus? Because that really purifies prayer, right? When you pray something super selfish and you're like in Jesus' name, you're like, I don't know that that's actually in Jesus' name. I think it's in my name, right? Right, in Jesus' name is pray for Jesus to answer these prayers for Jesus' kingdom and for Jesus' will to be done. So six through nine, let's just start with verse six. It says... Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. All right, now here, now I know is not like, oh, now I know, right? Like he just figured it out. This instead is confidence and instructive and exhortative. He's like, now I know that the Lord will save. He's confident. He's trusting. He believes. King David understands who Jesus is. So maybe you're like, how does King David know this stuff? Dude lived like 850 years before Jesus came the first time. So how could he be so sure about Jesus and that Jesus was here that God would save Save Jesus, and then that during and after Jesus' day of trouble, the cross, that God would save him. How did he know that? 
And the answer is because God promised David that Jesus would rule forever. 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant. David, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give the world a king that's gonna rule on your throne, but he's gonna rule on your throne forever. And David's like, yeah, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be buried. I'm gonna be bones and dust and ashes, but Jesus is gonna be buried and then he's gonna rise. And David trusted God with that, y'all. He took God's word at face value because it's God's word. And so I think for us, like we've got David thinking this like first coming of Jesus Christ, right? And, and we, and he, all of his hope is in the cross. All of his hope is in the resurrection. He's thinking, I gotta believe in those things. I do believe in those things. And then for us, we're looking back at the first coming of Jesus Christ and we're like, our hope is in the cross. Our hope is in the resurrection. But we know because Jesus told us that he's coming again. And so we can take Psalm 20 and be like, Lord, we want you to come again. Your kingdom for all eternity when you're gonna make things Eden again, when you're gonna make all things right, when you're gonna reign on that throne and we're gonna be a part of your eternal kingdom that's already here but not yet. We're praying for that now. And so we place our faith in that and in his power now and in his power that is to come. So David here, he's full of confidence in who? Not in himself, but in Jesus. And he's so full of confidence in Jesus that he's realizing confidence in anything else is futile. Confidence in anything else is futile. Y'all, I love that word futile. I don't want my life to be futile. I don't want my prayer life to be futile. Um, and I do things, I'm like, if this is futile, I'm gonna quit it and do something that matters. I think most of us feel like that. And so look at verses seven and eight. This is really cool. David, David's writing this. He's just flowing in confidence about the Lord Jesus. He says, some trust in chariots and some in, in, in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen? Isn't that awesome? <coughs> so I wanna, I wanna um, uh, tell you this story that Jesus is telling you, or, or that David is telling here. Um, think about this for a minute. When in the Old Testament were there chariots and horses and God's people had to trust in God over those chariots and horses? When is that? The, the Exodus. Okay, so think about it. God's people are enslaved. God's saying, I'm gonna deliver you out of here. So they leave and then they're running and they get to the Red Sea and they're like, oh no, water, we're trapped. And then under their feet, what happens? The ground is shaking. Why is the ground shaking? It's because the entirety of the fury of Pharaoh's army is coming at them. They see the ground shaking. They feel the ground shaking. They feel it first, then they look back and they see it. Sun coming down, glistening on the swords, on the shiny chariots, and they're thinking, we are sitting ducks. The most powerful army in the world has them pinned against the Red Sea. They're thinking, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And then God splits the sea and they walk through on dry ground, and then the, the chariots and the horses, they try to go through, and the water covers them up, right? <coughs> some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God, right? That's the story he's channeling. He believes God. He believes what God does. So I wanna share several things with you. One, God delivered his people from those horses and chariots, we gotta believe that. We gotta look back on Christian heritage and Christian history and be like, yes, God did this. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. Second, Jesus rose from the dead after offering himself on a Roman cross. The most brutal form of execution ever invented by mankind. And he rose from the dead after offering himself on a Roman cross. I want you to think about Roman cross, Egyptian, Pharaoh, army, chariots, horses, and I want you to consider 
the Egyptians and the Roman Empire collapsed and fell. And you look in this verse and you look at verse eight, you're like, they collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Right, the most powerful armies, the most powerful empires in world history have collapsed and fallen, but who still stands? It's the Lord and his people, the people that are with him, right? Even if we're killed by those armies, we still stand because we rise with Jesus Christ after our death. I want you to think about something else, and this is a little bit delicate, but um, it shouldn't be delicate, um, but America too will one day collapse if Jesus doesn't return first, right? Um, who still stands though? The people of God's kingdom because our faith is in Jesus, right? And then like nine says, look at verse nine again. It says, oh Lord, save the king. Oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. What does that mean? It doesn't mean save the king like Jesus is in trouble. It does mean he had a day of trouble, but this, this verse is really meaning your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It means get with the king. It means your program happen, Lord Jesus. Would all of these things occur? Would your truth go marching on, Lord Jesus? So when we pray for more Jesus, two very important things happen. And maybe this is a way to kind of tie this together. I wanna to give you those two things. Number one, two very important things happen when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. When we're praying more of you, Lord Jesus, two very important things happen. Number one is it keeps us on target. It keeps you on target. His kingdom, not mine, right? His will, not mine. Y'all see that? You feel that in Psalm 20? Right, David's a king. He could pray my will, but he's not. He's praying your will, Lord Jesus. All of us could pray my will, but instead we pray your will. It keeps us on target. And we get off target when we make it our will, our kingdom, don't we? The, the second thing that this does is it keeps us trusting it keeps us trusting him. That's really six through nine. It keeps us trusting the Lord, right? Jesus has more that he's doing. Y'all, no joke, all of us get this, right? There are some strong and scary chariots and horses in our world. And we're like, Lord, I don't know how that's ever gonna be defeated. And then we look at world history and you're like, oh, okay, things do collapse, things do fall. But who still stands? The Lord. But right when we're in it in the present, we're like, I don't know how that's ever gonna collapse, but then we look at world history, right? I'm, just, I'm, I'm repeating things because these things are being repeated to us so that we can believe them and Jesus goes marching on. Are you with him or are you with this world, right? Who is stronger than everything in this world, than the biggest, mightiest army, than the biggest chariots, than the, the biggest voices, than, than the biggest horses, whatever that is, who is stronger? Jesus. And so then we pray accordingly. We pray for his kingdom to come. We pray for his will to be done. We hope in him, all right? So uh, we're gonna share communion here in just a moment. And um, before we do that, I wanna um, provide y'all in, in, in our busy lives just some time to reflect and pray. And I wanna lead you through three things to be praying. It's you and the Lord, okay? Um, the first one, I'll just ask this question and, and then you can take this to the Lord. Um, how does Jesus's kingdom coming, how does Jesus's kingdom coming get you back on target today, right? How does praying Jesus your kingdom come get you back on target today? Maybe you're off target, maybe just a little, maybe you're wandering big time. How does praying that get you back on target? Just talk to the Lord about how you're maybe off and Lord, I want to be about your kingdom instead.
question is, into what do you need to pray Jesus' will be done? Into what? A situation? A wayward person? Maybe it's your own life. Lord, I want to do your will. I'm doing, I'm doing the will of this world. Or I'm doing the will of what other people say. I'm just I'm hook, line, and sinker on some worldview here. God, I want to do your will instead. It's everlasting, not mine. It's everlasting, not this world. Maybe it's someone you love who's suffering or doesn't know Jesus or needs to repent, needs restoration. Into what do you need to pray? Jesus' will be done. Pray it now. And try to get as specific as you can. Just think what, what is needed. What's one word from God's word? Restoration or healing or repentance or truth or God's love. here on verse 3 from Psalm 20. We looked at those sacrifices and they pair very well with communion, obviously. And um, I just want to point out as Jesus is meeting with his disciples that very last night before he was brutalized on a Roman cross to pay the penalty of our sin, he gave communion to us so that by taking this, we remember what Jesus did and we keep proclaiming him until we see him again, whether whether after we pass away from this world and we see him face to face or when we see him coming in the clouds and he's here, so we're remembering him. So David was so adamant about Jesus. Why? It's because only Jesus could provide fellowship with God. And that fellowship with God, it's commemorated by that, by that grain offering. And Jesus is that offering of the bread of life for us, that fellowship with God. And it's a thanksgiving offering. So let's take this today, thanking the Lord for his body, his bread of life, sacrificed for us, offered for us, so that we can know the Lord and have fellowship. second we think about the burnt offering the burnt sacrifice and that Jesus was fully consumed for us he didn't do this halfway he was fully consumed for us he offered himself as the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and the and that that smoke that would be rising from that sacrificial animal back then represents us rising to the Lord through the faith through the identification that we have in Jesus Christ we too rise to the Lord we too have relationship with the Lord and we too are a pleasing aroma 
representing uh, the forgiveness of sin and the new covenant. Amen. Let's pray together, Lord Jesus. We give you glory for who you are, for what you've done. We thank you for King David, and we thank you that you inspired King David by the power of your Holy Spirit to write these words in the way that you did so that we can see them and we can see the king of a nation in this world praying for the king, the king and his kingdom come, the king and his will be done, and that we can learn from that and we can make it our own prayer and pray it into our day today and to pray it into our future, to hope in things that are certain and to have our faith in you, Lord, who lives and who loves and who cares and who leads. Lord Jesus, only you can bring us back to God. Only you can get us in that future garden by us placing our faith in you through uh, and giving us the forgiveness of sin. So we praise you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. God, I pray that all of us would walk with you. I pray that all of us can learn to pray even more so, pray for more Jesus in everything we're thinking and everything we're facing and everything this world is facing and everything our friends and loved ones and, and lost neighbors and coworkers and classmates are thinking and feeling, Lord, would your will be done? Would your kingdom come? We want more of you, Lord Jesus. And we pray these things in your name and by the power of your spirit.